You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1166. And it's that time of the year again, ladies and gentlemen. What time of the year? It's time for the economic outlook and forecast with none other than Dr. Mira Farka. Dr. Farka, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Hi, Rick. Always a pleasure. It's good to have you back, and I've been looking forward to asking you a few questions here on the radio show since you delivered the results of your fantastic report, uh, oh, what, last month here in Orange County, California. But let's get started with a simple one. And, and, and ever since I read your report and I heard your talk, I've noticed how counter you your view of the economy is to what I hear other economists. I just heard on the radio this morning that economists are predicting there's a consensus that the before the next presidential election, the country's probably going to begin to get into a recession. Your view is the, the economy has uh, more expansion, has more room to run. Can, can you explain what you're seeing, because I've been talking about it to the members of the critical mass community, uh, what are you seeing that causes you to be more positive about the future than maybe the consensus? Well, sure. Uh, I, uh, I mean, there's a number of, of, of factors that make us think that, uh, you know, the economy is, this expansion is not in its last legs, at least not yet. Uh, but first of all, let me just say up front that whenever you hear, you know, a critical mass of economists agreeing on something, I think it's time to go buy a lottery ticket, because mm. that's, uh, that's something that never happens quite often, as often as anyone would expect. And you're right, the consensus is the Wall Street Journal had a survey a couple of months ago asking uh, very economists when they thought the next recession would happen, and most of them have it sometimes in 2020. About 60% of economists uh, suggested so. Uh, I hold a slightly different view, and I tell you why. Uh, there's three main things that I that that I think will kind of keep this economy going at least over the next couple of years. That's our forecast horizon towards the end of 2020. Now we'll talk about other issues in 2021 and beyond. But the three building blocks are consumers, businesses, and fiscal policy. And uh, when you look at consumers, uh, the consumer, consumers have been doing very well. There's more jobs. The latest uh, for, uh, job payroll number was Blockbuster, another 250,000 jobs. We're talking nationally here. Wages are up. Hel- uh, basically, home, household wealth is up. Home prices are up. Financial wealth is certainly up, although financial market has been wobbly this year, as we all know. Um, on the business side, Sentiment is up. is very important. Uh, taxes have been a boost, and we see we're seeing a comeback for investment spending and more of a sort of a positive, upbeat outlook on the side of the businesses. And all of this sort of what I would call organic growth uh, from consumers and businesses uh, certainly has been helped by a lot of fiscal support. Now, I think a lot of my colleagues, a lot of economists, are worried about exactly that—that that the fiscal support is giving us a shot in the arm, which it is. But it's late in the business cycle, and the fiscal support is two 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 sorts. It's uh, on the government spending side. Congress approved a 1.3 trillion bill in back in March, uh, and of course, is also in the tax uh, on the on the new tax law side, which is worth 1.5 trillion dollars over the next 10 years. So, if you combine these two, 
there's a lot of fiscal support out there, and it's unusual it's so late in the business cycle. Uh, I do think that when this runs out, which is probably going to be around 2020, things will get a little tough. So even in our own forecast, we have 2020 sort of a slowdown, but we don't have it a recession, partially because we think the economy still has some, the other two sectors, the private side, businesses and consumers, have some more gas left in the tank. So we're talking with Dr. Mira Farka, and we're talking about the 24th annual economic forecast, and there was a conference that was held on Thursday, October the 25th, in which she presented some of the content, but I have to tell you, the uh, the report that she and others, uh, Neil Puri, a PhD, wrote is eminently approachable and readable, and so th- we're only going to be scratching the surface on some of what we're going to it's contained in this fantastic report. I, I want well, to. Rick. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of it. It's an easy read. It's almost like talking to you. The way it's written, it, <laughs> it, it, it's written in your voice mainly, and I think that that's a compliment to you and the and and to others who put it together. One of the things that I've heard from people is that the yield curve is close to inverting, and that is always meaning at some point a recession is going to happen when the short-term and the long-term interest rates and change. And So if you could do it justice, what is the yield curve inverting meaning? Where are we now? And why, if, if it is actually approaching that level, why are you not concerned about it as historically people might be? So a couple of things. That's a very good point. One of the risk factors that we're fi- that you know we're figuring into our forecast certainly. Well, there are three main risk factors. One of them is the Fed policy, and the Fed policy. Uh, so obviously, the Fed is in a rate hiking cycle, and what this does that this, as the Fed increases interest rates, the the phenomenon you just described, the the flattening of the yield curve occurs. The yield curve or, or the yield spread, the yield spread between the 10-year note and the two-year note, or the 10-year and the three-month, whichever you want to use. So historically, whenever this, the uh, whenever the 10-year and, and the two-year note gets closer and closer together, and whenever the two-year actually yields more than the 10-year, which is exactly what an inversion is, historically, whenever that happens, a recession has occurred. I, 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 if you go back historically, like seven times out of eight that has happened. Uh, so it's been a pretty good predictor of the uh, for, for future recessions. Usually recession kind of sets on within the next 10 months or so, whenever the yield curve inverts. And that's because the bond market is expecting the economy to slow down. And, you know, that, that's what that, that inversion means. Now, a couple of things about where we are in the cycle. The yield curve is now around 30 basis points. So it's fairly, it used to be, you know, close to 250, 280 basis points even four or five years ago. Uh, but now we're at 30. So we're close enough to inversion. We're not inverting yet. The, my, my view is that the yield curve is a little bit less reliant than you would think in the past. And part of this has to do with the fact that uh, the long year uh, yields, the, the long yields, like the 10-year note, have been suppressed. That's because of the many rounds of the quantitative uh, buying by the Fed. So there's certainly a, a suppression there about, I, I would assume, maybe 40 to 50 basis points. So in normal times, the spread will be probably about, let's say, 70 to 80 basis points. So not a calamity, but still not close to zero. So, But even if you think, another thing that I thought was important I'd share with your uh, listeners is that another thing that if we are where we are. Given that we are at 30 basis points, it's kind of important to see what that has meant historically. And what we did, we went back and said, even if you think the yield curve is still a decent predictor of recessions, we went back and we looked at the last four cycles to see when a recession hit. 
In other words, with how much lag did the recession hit when the yield curve was at the level that it is right now, at 30 basis points. And if you go back in 1980, we found that it took about 22 months, so almost two years, mm. for the recession to hit when the yield curve was at this level. And in 1990 and 2000, it took more than 70 months, so that's more than you know, roughly six years. And in 2008, it took 31 months, so almost two and a half years. So in a sense, I mean, if you do an average of all these, you see around roughly three years or so, uh, even if you were to believe in history and if history is any guidance. So we still do think, even in terms of this technical indicator like the yield curve, sort of the time is a little bit on our side still. So we're talking with Dr. Mira Farka. We're talking about her report, which is a good read. Uh, so it was, it was really a, you know, so I, I've been interviewing you since the depths of the Great Recession, and you guys were struggling to find good news good. T- to give us some hope because it was so dangerous. I feel like the last two years you've not been struggling to find bad news, but th- there was so much good news to focus on global expansion, which isn't so much the case this year. But nonetheless, there was a lot of good news. One of the things that caused me to pause in your latest forecast is this idea of the shadow banking system and then these CLOs, which frankly I hadn't given much thought to until I read your report. So can you help our audience to first of all understand why you see these shadow banking as a potential risk factor to the economy and maybe just slightly and lightly explain what a CLO is for our audience? Absolutely, and, and, and uh, you're right on. Um, so we've identified, so even though we're probably a bit more upbeat than the census forecast, there's another, like a number of risks uh, that we are, there's, that make us a bit more cautious about our own outlook uh, over the next couple of years. And some of these are, you know, more imminent, some, something like the Fed, which we already spoke, you know, the yield curve, uh, the trade concerns, and, you know, the, the global environment. So that's more Im- imminent. But the ones you're talking about now, which is the shadow banking, uh, the worries about CLOs, those are more background risks. So let's take them one at a time. Speaking of, one of, the wor- one of the things that worries us, it's not a crisis yet, but potentially could lead to a crisis a few, you know, a few years down the line, is the health of, a corporate, um, of the corporate sector. If you look at the corporate sector, Leverage has been very high. I mean, and not only the leverage is high, but the worry is that, you know, the quality of this leverage is actually a bit suspect. If you look at the corporate bond debt by ratings, about $3 trillion of ratings uh, of, of debt is A-level, which is fine, but another $3 trillion is B-rated, which is kind of just a notch above junk, and you got an additional $1.3 trillion, which is just junk. And if you add to that, the uh, leverage loans, the CLOs that are actually, so the, the corporate leverage loans are the equivalent of the CDOs back in the, which takes us back 10 years ago in the housing market crisis. Now the corporate, the CLO uh, volume is not nearly as high as the CDO volume, so that makes us, gives us a bit more hope that things will not get as bad, but certainly having CLOs that are in the, in the amount of about, well, leverage loans are $1.4 trillion. CLOs are uh, half a trillion dollars. And this is building up day by day. So obviously, old risks, sort of old sins in a sense, have not quickly, have not completely been washed away. 
So we feel it feels like even though much has changed since the last recession, not everything has changed. And and in a sense, risks have sort of migrated from the housing market now. It seems to the corporate sector. So that's one uh, part of it. And then the other aspect that you asked was exactly the shadow banking. So again, if you think about what we did after the financial crisis, we completely, you know, revamped the banking system, which is now completely very, uh, totally regulated. Uh, in a sense, I mean, I feel like the banking sector has been sort of regulated to within an inch of its existence. Now, what has happened, again, risk has been migrated away from banks and towards the shadow banking sector, which is basically financial intermediaries, but that operate outside the arm of the regulatory reach. Think here, think about, you know, firms like um, BlackRock or Fidelity or Vanguard, right? I mean, these, thing, these firms have seen an explosion of their assets, uh, of their balance sheets. I mean, the assets used to be $30 trillion in 2009. Less than, ten, uh, less than a decade later, they're now $76 trillion combined, wow. right? So it's been a great time to be a shadow bank. And the problem is not so much with the shadow banking itself. It's just that we don't fully understand their models. They're not very well tested, unlike banks, which get annual checkup from the Fed and the regulators, these shadow banking uh, uh, firms, whatever you want, shadow banking sounds a little too shadowy, <laughs> but certainly these firms are not very well uh, regulated. We don't know their, you know, their models, how well they are tested. We don't, we don't know uh, how they'll perform should a recession hit, even a mild one. So again, they're very poorly understood and very badly tested. So that's where the concern is. So these are two of the main areas, the corporate health and the, sh- the rise of the shadow banking that makes, uh, makes me think and makes me worry about things that may, you know, issues that may repeat themselves. So we're kind of going to relive again. When the next crisis hits, we're going to relive again the same situation. And I'm not sure we're better prepared for it. Yeah, so it, it, it so again we're talking to Dr. Mayor Farkas. So my concern with this one and I don't want to overdrive this point, but the my concern is when the water is high in the river, these kind of things are covered. But if a recession happens and the water starts to come down and companies are having a little bit more trouble repaying some of their leveraged loans and things, we might see an, an un, unanticipated negative consequence there because like you said, we haven't stress tested this part of the financial industry. And it doesn't matter right now because everything's good times, but when things get tight, Absolutely. it might. I mean, it that, might. That's, ex- that's exactly what happens. I mean, that's usually when we wake up and go, how do we miss this? Well, <laughs> I mean, there are warning signs out there. It's just, and I think, and, and to be fair, the Fed actually did, did kind of rise up a little bit of alarm back in 2014 about the CLOs, but they kind of dropped it. And, and in fact, the CLO market has gotten bigger and bigger since then. Oh so I feel like some of these risks have not been sort of fully washed away. And we, I mean, because risk is, is a funny business. It's not, it's not going to remain in a well-regulated area. It's going to migrate. It's not going to be washed away, right? So, yeah, that's, so I think that's what's happened. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, such a beautiful sentence because risk isn't going to stay in a well-regulated arena. That's why it's well-regulated to get the, 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 the unnecessary risk out. But it's going to find somewhere else to go, and maybe it's found a safe harbor in this area. So I wanted to bring this topic up because I want the business owners and the CEOs who are listening to the radio show to at least have a curiosity about the 
shadow banking system and this term CLOs just so they can do their own Googling and research on it. One of the areas, and I only have a few minutes left with you, time flies whenever you're on the show, Mira, is something that isn't being talked about in my opinion, and I just try to have a little bit of a voice on this, and, and so if you could kind of give your perspective. I, I am continued to be worried that we don't focus enough on the deficit and the debt that we have in this to to fund this kind of economy that we have. From your perspective as an economist, why do you think that is, if you can pass a judgment on that? And secondly, do you think it's appropriate that we should be slightly worried about the debt and deficit? Absolutely. I mean, me and you have talked about the debt deficit for years, what it appears for years now. And to be honest, I'm a little bit perplexed that it ha- it isn't a bigger issue than, you know, than what it should be. Uh, it's, it's kind of reminds me of what a saying of Ronald Reagan, which is, you know, debt is so big that it, it's big enough to take care of itself. I feel like it's grown enough, nobody's talking about the debt anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but certainly it is a big, uh, it, it is a big issue, of course. Uh, we're, we're looking at a trillion dollar deficit, you know, sooner. So basically a trillion dollar deficit is happening as soon as almost next year, almost a trillion, not quite a trillion, and then the year after will be a trillion. Whereas without this, uh, the fiscal package and the tax, the new tax law, a trillion dollar was going to happen, you know, three, four years down the line. So in a sense, maybe it was just a moving forward of a time of an inevitable thing to happen. Maybe that's perhaps why people are not talking about it. Another thing that's surprising to me, we have our own in-house uh, survey that we carry out for 700 CEO uh, business executives from Orange County. And debt is one of the So we ask them, what's your biggest concern? And there's many things like political uncertainty or, you know, elections or, you know, if global, you know, North Korea or global. And debt is always one of the questions we ask. And it's surprising to me, debt has come almost dead last in the last couple of years that we have actually done this this uh, survey. So it makes me think that either that or perhaps the background risk that, Business leaders are worried now are, are are bigger. It used to be North Korea last year. North Korea has now fallen off. The Federal Reserve ta- rate hikes now seem to be uh, kind of picking up speed. But somehow debt has not has not really shown up as a concern, not as much as I would have hoped. Uh, I think it will. I think we're going to have to deal with the debt crisis if we don't do anything about it. It's not the, um, one of the reasons I'm thinking nobody's talking about it is because it's not an imminent uh, risk. It's probably five, six years down the line where it may actually blow up to the point that it will be unsustainable. But certainly I think it's better to deal with this now rather than then. The problem is that it takes a lot of political will and a lot of political courage to do the real heavy-duty things, which is even entitlement reforms. Uh, cut back spending, and nobody wants to ever do that, it seems. You know, once, once people run for office, uh, the tune changes. I've been frankly disappointed the Republicans because the debt is not very – I mean, they ran on on anti-debt platform when Obama was president, and that was fine. And I think, you know, debt was a big concern. But you cannot just – it's not washed away when you're in power. And I think uh, uh, I'm, I've been – I've been very, you know, disappointed with the Republicans. The Democrats never want to talk about the debt, it seems. But the Republicans, when they seem to have power, they also don't are unwilling to actually do the hard choices and the hard cuts. So it all comes to politics at the end of the day, and that's where I, I have no good answers, because uh, politics is way more complex than economics, I feel. Well, you know, Mira, and the 
we're, we're in a good economy, and the government, even with the tax um, cuts that were passed, still collecting a lot of revenues based on sure. the individual's earnings and the corporate earnings and company earnings in general. You know, and we're at a, still a relatively low interest rate. But I could worry myself into saying a slower economy, which generates less proceeds yeah. for the government, and a higher interest rate, which makes their debt obligations more costly. Th that's a dangerous mix for in my it mind. It is a dangerous mix, and and think about even the other uh, on the other side when when a recession could a recession will hit it, we're arguing whether it's going to be two or three years or four years <laughs> down the line but it will hit and the question is then you have the automatic stabilizers kicking in so that debt that is probably forecasted now to be a trillion 1.1 1.2 trillion dollars could easily go you know about a couple of trillion dollars in in oh. you know when the next recession hits partially because you have all this uh, uh, the unemployment benefits all this automatic stabilizers that kick in when people start losing jobs. So, and, and given, as you described, the higher interest rate environment, that certainly is a recipe for disaster. I fear that's when we're going to start worried about it, but it's gonna, it may be too late to do something about it then. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we don't want to leave this interview on a down note. I, I, was no. in, I, I was encouraged by Dr. Farka's view of a couple years more in this recession, I mean, this recovery, excuse me, and, and I think we need to be planning for growth in 2019 and taking advantage of, of, a, of a positive marketplace. But as citizens of this country and maybe parents with kids and grandkids that are going to depend on a healthy economy, we also have to keep an eye firmly fixed on the future and expect better out of our leaders as it comes to this ever-mounting, insurmountable amount of debt that we've accumulated. So on a positive note, it's great to have you back on the show. I always enjoy our time together. You're a dear friend of the program, and I appreciate the fact that you're willing to give the time to share a bit of what you know. If someone would like to learn more about the latest economic outlook and forecast, where would you suggest they go, Dr. Farka, to find it? They would go to the uh, economic, uh, the Woods uh, Center for Economic uh, Analysis and Forecasting at Cal State Fullerton. And, and and trust me, if you download this PDF and you take it, there's a whole section which we didn't talk about because we didn't have time, which is really focused on the Southern California economy and Orange County in particular. This for a business owner whose business may be heavily dependent on Southern California or Orange County, this is important reading because it talks about the housing market, the labor market, a lot of issues that today we just didn't have time because we're dealing with the macro stuff, but this is really critical to the, to the viability of our business and our workforce moving uh, forward. So there's much more to read in this than we were able to talk about. Thank you again for being a friend of the program and a part of our community. Thanks so much, Rick. Always a pleasure. All right. Enjoyed it. All right. And I'd like to thank Paul Roberts, who engineered his fourth show for me today in a row. And it doesn't even look like he broke a sweat, hardly. Uh, our producers, without whom I could not do this show, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. If you'd like to connect with me on social media, let's start on LinkedIn, where I am Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And until the next time we have a chance to get together, here's hoping that all of your business decisions move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.